This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hi, LSPod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. You've got mail. Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play. That is that. What a shot. Post for Shearer, goal! McLaughlin has it, oh, deflection, and a goal! Goes to Mitchell, it's another goal! Incredible hobble! Everybody, our kingdom for a football match, back-to-back postponements, and at the time of recording, still no managerial appointment has resulted in a long overdue and completely unrequested dip into the mailbag to see what you, the listeners, would like us to discuss. Here to have a good old rummage inside the LS Pod sack is firstly Dan. Hello, Dan. Good evening, Rich. How are we, everyone? Oh, very well, thank you very much. And live from Deutschland. It's Connor. Hello, Connor. Hello. I, I was doing a lot better until you um, referred to rummaging through the Ellis Pod sack, and now I uh, <laughs> am questioning why I'm doing this this evening. But um, yeah, good to be along. We're here to rummage. Uh, <laughs> Connor, Hanover Kaiserslautern on Saturday. Looking forward to it? Uh, I did not realise that that was, uh, <laughs> that was one of the fixtures. Uh, yeah, it's going to be great to have the Zweite Liga back on our TVs over here. So yeah, can't wait. <laughs> Lovely. Okay, well, we'll move on from this German football chat to start straight in with this question from Wardy S. Which will happen first, a football match or a new manager? I'm plumping for new manager. And part of me says that because surely this purgatory must end 
before the weekend, surely. Connor, what do you reckon? Prediction, football match or new manager? I mean, none of, neither of the two are guaranteed. I think the two seem to fuel the other because the longer we don't play a football match, the longer we don't need a manager. The longer we uh, don't have a manager, the less we um, want to play football matches. So um, I hope that by the weekend the managerial situation is at least fixed, sorted and resolved so that, um, you know, at least if we're, at least if they're not taking charge, at least we know who's going to be sort of in the dugout come February um, and and the remaining games of the month. Yeah, far too serious an answer. We'll we'll shake that (laughs) out of you eventually. Um, Elephant in the room, chaps. Uh, When we announced that we were going to attempt a mailbag again, all sorts of comments along the same line, starting with Sarah V. Now you've announced it. Does that mean a manager is intimate to disrupt your plans again? Thank you, Sarah. Floodlights are in the post. Marky Sparky says, this is your way of making sure an appointment is announced, isn't it? By bringing back the doomed mailbag. Batch says that's our tell being announced tomorrow then. James Bray, come on, guys, get it recorded so the club can zump you with a manager appointment. We need you to do your duty. Here we are. And Ben Nichols finally saying, manager announcement tomorrow. Awesome. I'm not having this. You know, you, you try and do something and then the club just steamrolls over you. Not this time. Gone and called our bluff, haven't they? We've got to do this mailbag episode. Terribly underprepared. I was ready for the welcome Jody Morris episode, but... There we go. Mm, yeah. What do you think, Connor, the shelf life of this segment will be? Um, I think possibly, like, while people are listening to this, um, the shelf life will expire. So possibly <laughs> there will be parts that, that we uh, start discussing things uh, and it will, at the start of the sentence, make sense, but then it will all just be complete distant nonsense by the time the sentence ends. Uh, so that that's my prediction. Um, and what I really want to know um, is um, what class Dan Huntelaar is planning on um, doing with the um, notes that he's taken for the Jody Morris unveiling episode that unfortunately is not to wear today. Well, Connor, thank you for referring to me as Dutch international Klaus Dan Huntelaar. I would like that to stick as a, a new nickname. Uh, if we could have Alice Pod merchandise, I would like a kind of Klaus Dan Huntelaar style mug uh, with my face printed over the Dutch forward legend. Um, if, if someone could make that happen, that'd be fantastic. I do actually have a couple of nicknames for you guys, which I want to trial. Is that okay? Of course. Yeah. For our esteemed host, I would like to call you Millionaire Match, which Google says is the best dating site for wealthy people. Basically, just rich pulling. Oh, hey! Jesus Christ. This this is, I mean, we've not even got to Connor yet, but this is also, this is not only the worst part in the pod's history, but possibly my life. <laughs> okay, it gets better. Um, and introducing uh, our German friend, uh, 1997 Nicolas Cage action thriller, Connor. Welcome along. Um, I've had that before, so thank you. Um, oh, oh no. Yeah. But yeah, thanks, uh, Class Dan Huntelaar. That's um, a really nice new segment, and uh, I look forward to hearing the uh, the names off mic uh, for the rest of the panel. <laughs> One question, and people are already turning off. Let's move <laughs> on. <laughs> Let's move very swiftly to new manager talk. So the bookies' merry-go-round has stopped. Betting has been suspended. I think the last time I checked, 
David Artell was favourite with Jody Morris just behind and then Mark Bircham and Gavin Gunning ahead of the 20 to 1 onwards people that aren't really being considered anymore. Kira Bo says, when is the new manager going to be announced? <laughs> we don't know that, but we hope very, very soon. But we'll cover that plus Paul Merriman's which direction is the LS pod cadre earing towards Artel or Morris? So, Connor, when's this going to be announced and which one is it going to be? Um, I reckon at some point in the year 2023 is when it, when it will be announced. I mean, uh, to be honest, that's actually not a done thing, given how long we seem to take with these kind of things. I, 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 to be honest, I feel like I kind of, at this point, have thought about so much, I just don't really... Like, I struggle to see the good and the bad and everything. Uh, and I just kind of feel like what will be will be. Um, I feel like Jody Morris, probably just because of the names that he's worked with over the last sort of few years before this um, is probably the slightly more like exciting option um, but also you look at Artel's crew team from the, the year that we went up and they went up narrowly behind us uh, and he's done good things as well so I mean it, it, it's one of those one of those things isn't it really I, I, I don't care either way just make a decision please Swindon Town Football Club. Yeah Dan it feels like we've got to that stage now where the debate Artel or Morris, Artel or anyone else is we, we're going just 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 get on with it. Dan, are you are you in that in that place? I would very very much like an appointment of anyone. Please end this purgatory that I find myself in. Just reflecting earlier, Sandro Di Michele been in tenure for what maximum of nine months, gentlemen, and I think six weeks of that has been purely manager hunting in two. Busy transfer periods as well. So, come on, Sandro. Urgency, please. Um, on Artel versus Morris, I think Connor described it quite nice. I think Morris feels like a bigger gamble, but with that could lead to more dramatically brilliant results. could also lead to a, a crash and burn. I think Artel feels like the, the safe bet, second job, promotion on the CV, wants the job, crucially. My only worry with a Jody Morris type is, um, you know, and this probably goes for every manager of Swindon Town, it, it feels a bit stepping stony. You know, he doesn't really need us. If it goes wrong at Swindon, he's going to get another cushy assistant manager job with Lampard. Uh, I said, I speculated earlier on Twitter, it'd probably be at Watford. That feels about right for next season. But yeah, so I think I would just lean towards Artel on that basis. Yeah, I think I'm still leaning towards the experience at League Two level that Artel has. Morris is the appointment they wanted to make that summer, isn't it? You know, yeah. the academy experience player, um, former player, you know, who, who's got all the contacts. That that ticked all the boxes of what we thought that they were going to go for that summer and couldn't get. But David Artel has, yeah, he has that familiarity of the division working on a small budget too so whatever he's walking into and Swindon is potentially better than what he had at crew and I would argue a better squad and he did very very well with the squad he had at crew the year we went up in the season after they went up as well I mean, obviously with that squad coming apart I think seems like things sort of very quickly unraveled for them and they obviously find themselves back with us in in league two but um, I think a, a lot of the job that we saw of him doing a crew sort of from the outside seemed to be a really, really good um, thing. And yeah, it's the sort of thing where, again, I, I think basically both of these appointments I would have been completely fine with in the summer. Um, so I find it really hard to kind of, like I say, like have too strong an opinion either way. Um, 
now um, I guess the problem that we've got is that we seem to be going through like this managerial tinder where basically there are there's a new name every day and uh, like we, you know you see that all of these really exciting things but you're not committing to any one of them and just seems they seem to I don't know seem to want to be talking to any number of potential coaches until we find the right one and I think at some point you just need to stop playing that that game and uh, just lay a hat on on one of the managers and um, hope that it goes well because I mean ultimately they're all hopefully coming from similar places if the the search process that we've been doing over the last uh, three weeks and obviously we did the same search in the summer as well if that's kind of a thoughtful process then most of the people that we speak to should be pretty good for the job anyway, surely. Connor, you say managerial Tinder. I, I'd say we stick with the theme and say managerial millionaire match. <laughs> yes. No, I think uh, I did regret uh, not using um, Rich's new nickname for that particular <laughs> <laughs> particular part. But um, I'm sure Rich is quite happy we didn't use it. Ecstatic. Absolutely over the moon. Hank has done a bit more maths than you Dan so he says do you feel the length of time to employ a new manager has taken too long I think we've already covered that uh, especially in a transfer window from Ghana leaving and Lindsay being appointed it was approximately four weeks since the news broke regarding Lindsay it's now been four weeks I think what a lot of the more relaxed Swindon fans will be saying is We've played one game. Head coach isn't responsible for signing the players. Don't worry about it. Um, I'm worried about it. So that debunks that one. Um, Yes, it is taking too long. I think if you had a more experienced caretaker in the building, a bit like, you know, when Kevin McDonald left, you had Mark Cooper, who uh, had managed before a couple of clubs, had knee Kettering and um, Peterborough. So that, that felt like a a less dramatic changeover. I think with all due respect, Gavin Gunning, 32 years old, no coaching badges, Steve Mildenhall, you know, brilliant club man, but he is a coach in a specialist position, goalkeeping. Now you are asking a lot of those two men. And then a couple of the sort of back back office kind of football staff to, to step up and fill in. So yeah, I mean, 20 games to go, we can't afford to waste a single one of them. Promotion is there on the hill. Let's let's start climbing up that hill. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been less than four weeks, right? I think it was the 5th of January when the Lindsay is possibly leaving news broke. Um, and Four weeks on Thursday, isn't it? Oh, yeah, we'd enter the fourth week, I guess, because, yeah, I think it's been 19 days at this point or something like that, which I'm not saying that that's not long, it's too long. I think equally in the summer we had longer because it was about four weeks between Ghana going and um, Lindsay being appointed, if I'm not wrong. But then there was about two weeks of wrangling over whether Ghana would actually be going and uh, that that position just kind of becoming untenable in the same way that we dragged out Lindsay going to Crawley. So um, I think overall the like limbo over whether we've got a manager or not and plus the who we're going to bring in as a manager just seems to have taken up like at least two months if not a little bit more of the last sort of year of Swindon Town. And it, yeah, if you take out the, the next four months until May, yeah, over two months out of the last eight, nine, like 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 Dan mentioned. And that just, it makes it hard as a fan, I think, to sort of see us moving in the right direction. And I think that's what, those are the kind of things that you kind of are looking at in, in January, especially a January that's been so sparse with games due to um, opponents having cup runs and frozen pitches and what have you. Um, I think 
you want to sort of still be seeing Swindon Town news and sort of thinking that we're building in the right direction. We're going to go on a good run February, March, April, May um, and, and move up the leagues. And because we're just thinking about this one thing and we don't know what's going to happen with that, I think at least as a fan, my focus has completely gone off transfers. I really don't know like who we're linked with. Um, I don't like... I've kind of forgotten about like what the positions that I thought we should have been sort of improving. Um, and look, like the club, the people within the club, they can still recruit players without managers being there. But they're spending a lot of time obviously trying to get this appointment right. And that's time that they should actually have just been spending on transfers. And it, that does worry me a little bit in terms of the way the rest of the season's going to rest of the season's going to go because we've not used this month optimally. I don't think um, even if. I think we'll get through it and we'll be okay. Mm. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk more on transfer front in just a few moments. But I do wonder what the delay is because when we think about the season, for all of our justified flapping of the way Scott Lindsay was potentially taking the team, the squad is sound, you know, when fully fit, it's a good 11. We're in the playoff picture. We're in the playoff places comfortably. We've got Charlie Austin up front. You tell me they're struggling Dan, to get applications <laughs> arrive in the inbox at Swindon Town Football Club. I, I just, I don't understand. What Maybe they've they've interviewed too many people and they've got themselves in a pickle over who they want to appoint. Maybe it's a personality issue. We don't know. It's just, it's, it's very interesting. And, and a couple of weeks back, I said, you know, they should take their time on it. But in football talk, I meant about two weeks. <laughs> they mean double it. Yes, it's, it's very frustrating. It does point to... Um... A sort of failing to learn from the summer's experience. You know, arguably, you could probably take it a little bit slower in the summer, summertime like that. But um, yeah, as as Connor said, it feels like you're burning January, which is your last opportunity to, you know, shape your squad for this, the rest of the season ahead. I I, I agree with you, Rich. I, I think the squad needs just a little bit of evolution rather than, you know, total revolution. Um. I think it should be an attractive job. Swindon are a big side at this level. They are well placed. They do have Charlie Austin up front. All of those, you know, tick, tick, tick. So, um, yeah, I, I would love to know what the holdup is, but we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it will be funny uh, when Swindon inevitably appoint a man who declared interest in the job on January sixth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he went balls out there, Artel. Yeah, he <laughs> went. Uh, wait, though. They made yeah. him wait. <laughs> okay, next question is from Ian, who says, "I've seen Artel described as an unexciting appointment." While this is probably true, which realistic appointments would be classed as exciting, Connor? And I don't think you're going to have an answer for me here. I think it's a very tough and very good question. Um, yeah, I think I think the idea of like a, an exciting, unexciting appointment at this kind of level is it's really like all in the eye of the beholder, if that makes sense. I think like for some people, like going back to like the the old player coach model, which has worked before and has brought big names to the club that we all get excited about. That's one way of doing it. I think I think I guess the fact is that he's not a name, but has been quite solid and has played has, has coached teams that have played good football. So you could re- like feasibly get excited about about that if you want to. Equally, like exciting fans at the appointment of a manager isn't necessarily the main goal. Like, don't think many of us were excited by Richie Wellens 
when we appointed him um, after his Oldham spell, but I think we'd all be pretty excited if he was to come in now. So I, I think the, the nature of the beast is that, you know, we're, we're not going to bring in a manager that's going to guarantee anything. Um, I think we'd like to think it's going to be like a, a good appointment and we're all going to like scrape the barrel to find good and bad things about um, what, what's going to be done. Um, but yeah, I, I think by exciting, probably mostly people mean like a name that like, you know, they've watched in the Premier League and um, that they've seen at the highest level and then seeing them walk through the doors at Swindon and bring us a bit more of a media profile than we've maybe had in the last couple of years, similar to what we've had before. But equally, that's not that's not like a guaranteed road to success. This this could be equally successful as well. Um, so yeah, talking myself around in circles there, but I, th- I think basically that there's there's nothing inherently exciting or not about any of it, and the proof will be in the pudding. But um, I guess we're just trying to trying to get ourselves excited, and um, it's easier with um, if, if you're brought in a, a, a name that's worked at sort of the highest level than someone who's sort of done a good job at League Two level. Yeah, Dan, I think exciting is either a high profile name, probably looking for their first job, and it has to be Premier League level, sort of more recent than Jody Morris. I think if this is our absolute definite top two. I think it's quite a good top two to have. I, I think yeah. the, the fan base will get behind either of those, which is good, which is progress from from previous cycles. Um, but what is exciting for you? Yeah, well, I, I was making some notes earlier. I, I tried to range from exciting to interesting and intriguing in various ways. So I think Jody Morris fits your, you know, academy-connected name, worked at a big club, looking for his first job mould. I think that, that would be exciting. In the in the world of Swindon Town, I mean, interesting, intriguing. The name Ian Foster was um, was doing the rounds. The England under twenty manager, very highly regarded coach, but who isn't in the England setup? Um, you know, we know he's been in for jobs because he, he looked like he was quite close to getting the the Portsmouth job. So that that could have been an interesting left field, but maybe more of a, you know, that's the appointment we could have made in the summer when he had a bit more time to build and coach and have a pre-season and as you know I, I, I always like Luke Garrard there seems to be an absolutely no, no noise on Garrard at all I know he's got a big FA Cup uh, replay tonight against Appington so good luck to them um, but yeah he he's kind of exciting in a semi-sentimental way but also you know done well over a very long period of time Liam Manning doesn't seem to have had many mentions uh, that's one that wouldn't have upset me um, like like Artel, he's had one job, it went quite well and then went badly. Um, you know, needs that next job to go right and is still young and hungry. So um, the the one I didn't like that didn't really tickle me was, was Chris Hewton. I just think as big a name as he is, and he could have brought some quite exciting staff with him, um, it just felt a bit, I don't know, a bit yesterday's man. Did he need that job to go well at Swindon? Not particularly. He was going to have a happy retirement, full stop. Um, I, I actually would have quite liked him in some sort of director of football role. I think that would have been a very astute appointment, but you know, good luck getting him on that basis. And I just want to say, Mark Bircham, just don't don't go there because that, that one just stinks. Stinks of power, stinks of Waterford, stinks of just connections and friends helping friends so yeah Bertram definitely not 
Hooten somewhere in the middle, and the rest I would class as exciting in various ways. Yeah, the the only other person that we haven't discussed, and it created a lot of debate when Chris Wise uh, tweeted on January 15th, understand Paul Caddis is in the frame to be the next Swindon Town manager. He's had two interviews with the club in the past week. With Charlie Austin back, it could be some month for returning heroes at the county ground, Connor. And what, what resulted next was... I think I think it was the whole reason Chris Wise got the story in the first place. It felt like a bit of a plant to see what the feeling would be amongst online Swindon fans anyway. And it, it was surprisingly negative. Um, I mean, I think it's one of those things where I think it's... It, like, a lot of the feedback, I think, was done with a lot of love, though, wasn't it? Like it, it, yes. Yeah. It, it's the sort of thing where like we hold... Caddis in such high esteem as fans that I don't think we'd have wanted him to get into a job where we weren't 100% convinced straight away. So he's the the sort of exact person that I feel like I'd want involved in, in the club behind the scenes, sort of coaching, sort of learning the ropes a little bit. And then maybe in a couple of years is like the, exactly the way that I thought about it, at least. And uh, I think I've seen that reflected elsewhere in the sort of odd times I've dipped in. I think the feeling... Largely was that it was a job too soon, maybe, um, like, you know, getting the, the, the main job sort of so soon after his playing career and not having done sort of a huge amount in terms of pro coaching. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those ones where we're just thinking, I, I guess we're looking at this, like who's likely to come in and sort of just sort of energise our season a bit more. And I think he would have energised us in the sense of we'd all want him to do really well. I don't know if he would have done in the, like, I really believe that this is going to work out. And I think as well, you know, maybe at a different time in the club's history, that kind of appointment where you sort of do a little bit of an emotional one, that there could be something there in a coaching sense. Um, maybe that would make sense. But then considering we've just done that with Scott Lindsay, I mean, he's nowhere near as much of a club legend as Paul Caddis, but he was being spoken of, uh, of as like kind of like a club man. You'd kind of see that in the same way of like, you know, specifically at Swindon Town hiring this guy, probably um, other teams in the league wouldn't have been looking him, at him in the, the first place. You know, I, I think we, I think as a fan base, like we've been slightly like burned by just things haven't gone quite as well as they should have done really in the first half of the season that I think it's probably fair enough that people would either looking at sort of people that have got a lot of coaching experience or people that have got managerial experience um, so, you know, that's why you're probably going to be more excited, especially having had names like Artel and Morris and um, Foster and uh, and all of that lot sort of in the running from quite early on, Chris Hewton, as you mentioned. Um, I think then going for someone that's got not so much experience would have sort of looked a little bit weird. But um, ultimately, at the end of the day, I think if that appointment was just done, I think everyone would have got behind him straight away because... Uh, it, it would have been something we all want to succeed. Yeah, I think the latter point that Connor makes there, Dan, is, is fair. If, if it would have just been announced, Paul Caddis, until the end of the season, Paul Caddis on an 18-month, yes, there would have been that noise that we saw when the when the news was leaked by Chris Wise. But I think it would have been, OK, well, this is it. Let's go. Let's get behind him. And people would have had those lingering concerns. I, I, I also read... <laughs> comments that saying like all the podcasters want Caddis because you know we'll, we'll get access I don't 
think Paul Caddis is that way inclined. You know, he's he's a, he's a professional, and I wouldn't have been doing anything I would do differently now if he was a head coach. You know, I I support Swindon Town, so I wanted what's best, and I do think maybe what happened with Scott Lindsay makes it harder for people like Paul Caddis to get the Swindon job at this moment in time. And also, I've heard and read comments about the season being dead. Five points off third. It's absolutely mm-hmm. not dead. So now is the time to bring in somebody who can get the job done that isn't as much as a dice roll as maybe Paul Caddis would be. Yeah. Well, both of you have made some excellent points there. So just to summarise where I'm at, we love Paul Caddis. Yeah, club legend, winner of two titles, which is pretty rare these days. Unfortunately for him, following a very inexperienced hire in the summer of Scott Lindsay, I think had we have then followed it with an even more inexperienced man in Paul Caddis, however much of a club legend he is, and however much, you know, it could have turned out brilliant. You'll never know. It just... It, as you saw from the the Twitter reaction and the, the reaction in the fan base, it's just not the right time. Um, I'm more than up for, you know, getting Paul Caddis on the, the Swindon Town staff. Absolutely. It, you almost create a bit of a succession plan then for the future. As I gather, he's, he's, he's doing okay at Fleetwood under 18. So he, he is cutting his teeth in, in the coaching world. But look at it objectively with his coaching experience. Is it a good hire for a team that you're looking, you know, to try and get over the line this year in League Two? I don't think so anyway. And I think you two agree from what you've said. Okay, we'll move away from manager chat and have a little bit of an in-between question. It's a great one from Doug Copestake. Here we go. So seen a lot of comments from various fans of other clubs over the last few weeks claiming that we as fans are entitled, presumably in relation to our head coach expectations, and that some fans regularly tout the old, we're too good for League Two line. Do you guys think there's any truth to that entitled label? And if so, do you think it has any effect on people's decision as to whether to agree to manage the club? Scott Lindsay always seemed very much Swindon through and through. And I can't help but wonder whether, even ignoring the run of mediocre and patchy results, some of the behaviour from fans ultimately drove him away. Basically, are we worse or more difficult than most when it comes to a fan base, Connor? Uh, no, I don't think we are. Um, obviously, it's really hard to quantify because like, I don't pay that much attention to loads of other fan bases at this level. I see stuff from quite large fan bases online and they're just they're every bit as annoying as, as we are. I think possibly it's part of the... Maybe it's like part and parcel of the fact that we have one of the larger fan bases just in terms of you look at there's quite an active um, fan media scene um, with Swindon now these days. Um, there's a lot of people on social media that are commenting, giving their two pieces on it. And just if, like, if you look at our attendance, um, like we are one of the sort of like better supported clubs in terms of numbers of people. Um, so probably when we make a bit of noise, it's probably like heard a little bit more than you know, like a Harrogate or something, for example. Like obviously not to be disrespectful, just. It, 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 the nature of the beast when you have more people <laughs> sort of talking about something. Um, so uh, I think it's interesting because basically I was at, I was at the football on Saturday here in Germany and I bumped into um, 
a friend who is a Leighton Orient fan who was at the same game. Um, and he was um, wanting to talk to me about Swindon because he was uh, reminding me of when we used to have Richie Wellens and like the, the, the one time I'd bumped into him before was... Uh, you know, when we beat them 3-1 away and uh, I was walking around the pub afterwards and basically Orient fans are saying, you're the best team that we played in five years or and what have you. Uh, and it just felt like a coronation even in September. Um, so that's like, that was a bit of a side note. But um, <laughs> um, so he was kind of saying, like, I didn't really understand like why your fans are so excited to be getting rid of your manager because you're doing okay in the league. Um I was like, well, yeah, I mean, that the results tell half the story. Like, watching the football also tells another part of the story. Obviously, there's a lot of different opinions on it as well, which, like, that we've kind of gone into and drilled into a lot of those different opinions over the course of this season um, like, and also um, on the, the podcast when he sort of departed. So I won't go into those too much now, but I think it's one of those things where, you know, you know quite often when, like, a, a big club... Um, a club in the Premier League that you don't really watch like makes a, what seems like something that's coming out of left field and then you go on Twitter and you see that all of the fans of that team are like, yeah, no, this is the right thing. So like thinking of, like I don't know, Hasenhuttle left Southampton at the end of last year, in my mind that seems really weird because he's by far the best coach that they could have. Um, and then every Saints fan that I speak to thinks it was the right decision for him to go. Um I think it's one of those kind of ones. Um, I don't think it really would impact on people coming in. I, I, I mean, I don't think we've seen any reports of like people being offered the job and turning it down. Um, maybe that's because it's being stage managed or something like that. I don't know. Um, but like, I would, I would sort of interpret the fact that we're speaking to loads of different people as like they're trying to like run a thorough process and that's their idea of it, and uh, they just can't make a decision within the club rather than that we're going to every door of sort of academy managers in, in England and uh, they're all turning us down. So um, I, I would imagine that most of them probably aren't too sort of au fait with the um, inner workings of Swindon Town social media and public opinion and all that kind of stuff. Um, and even if they are, I think like, you know, this, the sort of person that goes in and becomes a manager of a football club, I feel like has a little bit more self-confidence and uh, than, than that and would think that they can, possibly win a fan base around if they're thinking I think quite rightly for a team with the budget that we've got and um, the fan base that we've got um, that we should be challenging to get out of League 2 and I wouldn't say that in a negative way about League 2 I just think you know when when you're a club that has historically played at a high level your ambition is always to return to that right so um, that's the way I look at it I, I don't think it's something that's really holding us back at all. If anything, I think our fan base is what's keeping us going and hopefully giving us the the, the thought as fans that we will one day return to those high levels and um, play a bit more of an exciting level. I think a lot of this sense of entitlement depends on level. And I think in the fourth tier, perhaps as a fan base, we are a bit entitled. Yes. Um, I think I've displayed those behaviours in the last year. I think my expectations of the people who manage my football club are that we should be at this level going how for lever to be promoted every single year we're at this level. Um, and even last year, up against a lot of odds, we nearly got up. Um, I think I think in the third tier, we would be a more measured fan base. And I, I, I truly, I, I do believe that. Um, I think there is just such a desperation to get out of this godforsaken league 
and watch this club fly. Because off the pitch, you know, on the horizon, you've got a ground purchase, ground redevelopment. You've already got 9,000 average crowds. We often get higher. You see the fantastic crowd for the Grimsby home game last week. And in the last 10 or 11 years, we have had tilts at the playoffs in the third tier and, you know, ultimately come up a bit short. And in the seasons following those tilts, you know, it's tended to unravel, sadly. But, yeah, I think at this level, we are rightfully a bit entitled. (laughs) Interesting stuff. Okay, Philip Hammond says, do you think there is any truth in the supposition that the club are prioritising developing players for sale at profit over on-field performance, Dan? Well, I think... This is probably true of many, many clubs in the bottom couple of tiers. The difference being, we are probably the most open at saying it <laughs> and <laughs> flaunting that we we love to sell players. I, I think Sandro, publicly anyway, the things he says, does have a slight money lust, um, almost like the end goal is to sell. And again, that's just from the things he says. We don't know what, what happens privately behind the scenes. But I think, you know, it's absolutely fine. If Sandro Di Michele's role, he was brought to the club on, was to buy young and cheap, develop, sell. You know, that's a perfectly acceptable behind-the-scenes position. But supporters don't want to hear that. Supporters want to hear about winning. They want to hear about promotions. They want to hear about glory. And, you know, if that success breeds good players, which it inevitably will, you're going to end up selling a few, right? We've always been a selling club, even go back to the very, very good Swindon sides of the late 80s and early 90s. Um, I think the difference is by not stating your intentions to sell so publicly and so openly, you're actually going to give yourself a stronger bargaining position. You're going to get better prices for your players because you don't look so desperate to sell. Um, So what I think what I want to see from Sandro however much longer he is at the club, you know, be a PR man, show some PR skills, you know, listen to the room and get better at that external facing outlook. Winning, success equals selling. Like That's fine then. All of us can accept that. You know, I didn't want Kevin Horlock to leave. I didn't want Yanago Fjortov to leave. But these things happen. It doesn't take any level of ITK to know if the club are trying to prioritise that kind of thing because like, like, has been mentioned like the guy in charge of recruitment is openly stating that that's the aim so um obviously whether that comes above and beyond sort of on pitch achievement that's kind of down to interpretation of like other stuff that's been said in those interviews but i think it's one of those things like you say i think maybe they're just a little bit more open than other clubs um at, at stating sort of that that is the case with us um but yeah, I mean, we're not the only club that sort of are being run on this kind of model. Like there are a lot of other clubs that try and sort of pick up rough diamonds, polish them up and sell them further up the, the chain. And uh, that's just kind of how it all works. So my, my yeah, I, I don't find it offensive that we are trying to sort of find value and then turn it around. And then, you know, maybe a year, 18 months down the line, um, we make a little bit of money on that and then can get, then find slightly better rough diamonds, then polish them up and that is then the the force that propels the club forward, sort of similar in, the, in a way to sort of how Brentford have done it. Um, but yeah, I guess partly 
you, you sort of see slightly brazen way that's been spoken about and you think that's quite annoying. Um, also kind of the fact that we haven't had that footballing success since we've implement, implemented the policy and appreciate that's a very, very short time. Um, so um, we could go on and have a really uh, successful second half of the season and then we're saying, okay, maybe the, this does work um, and, and that's all fine. Um, and thirdly, I think as well, just I think the other thing that's a little bit annoying that's rubbed me up the wrong way in a couple of the interviews this month um, has been um, like talking about selling players that we brought in in the summer. Like we've not done that much development of them. Um, like we like that's just bringing in players to then flip them basically, which I, I can't get behind bringing in a player specifically to sell them six months later to someone slightly higher up the pyramid. I'd rather think that we bring in a player that we think could be a, ch- a championship level. We play them for a year, 18 months, two years, and then we sell them higher up to where they should be in the footballing pyramid rather than thinking, how can we get everyone onto Peterborough? <laughs> um, and then from Peterborough <laughs> onto Brentford and then from Brentford onto somewhere else in the Premier League. Like That's not what I want to see. I want to see us uh, yeah, bringing these players, getting us up to the level that they should be at. And then if they need to move on, then they go to the sort of level that they belong at. Um, from yeah. us that's a great point Connor that the higher up you are there is a premium for obviously being a, a higher level player you say that players we signed in the summer moving them on now in January so t- take Romeo Hutton for example suppose we spent 75k getting in from Barrow which is probably in the ballpark tell me if I'm wrong um you know if we were to sell him for 300k in January you know having you know, we've spent 75k on him. You've probably paid him 50,000 pounds up to this point in wages. Yeah, that isn't much of a of a profit, really. Could I? I can't see Romeo Hutton being much more worth than that in the current market. So you are better off holding them, using the fact they're under longer contracts and trying to get up, and then giving them that higher platform to excel and. That's where you're gonna get. That's where you're gonna get some good money, some sort of season changing and club changing fees, which I think the Peterborough example. You look at some of the prices they've received for what well, normally midfielders and and strikers rather than defenders. Um, that's that's the sort of sums of money you want to um, you want to be speculating on. We will move on now to the squad and transfer talk because, as we've already alluded to, there's about a week left of a transfer window and. For the first time in many a moon, I've not really been paying any attention to it at all. A question from Tom. What are your opinions on the recruitment? I think when you list all the new signings, over half have been good, a couple so-so, and the rest bad or not applicable due to not playing or having injuries. Is this down to coaching or team selection, Connor? Um, I think that summary of sort of how the signings have kind of worked out in terms of proportions of good, bad, okay, so and, and all of that lot, I think that's pretty accurate, so fair enough. I think I kind of look at it in, in two ways. I think we have undergone this policy of trying to sign some sort of diamonds in the rough and uh, I think some of them have gone slightly undercoached just because we've sort of maybe lacked the experience or the expertise of um, previous managers that we might have had that sort of might have got slightly more out of some of the players that we've got. I I, I don't know. I, I, I can't have been the only one that sort of had like was listening to press conferences earlier this year and sort of hearing a distinct lack of detail that sort of those kind of players, I think, specifically really need. And 
I think ultimately bringing in a, a, um, a coach that's maybe worked at academy level, that really is like quite a sensible thing um, in terms of um, kind of a, a approaching that because you can kind of then bridge them into professional football. I think it's also interesting if you listen to a lot of the um, clips of um, Gavin Gunning recently, I think he, he's been talking about how a lot of the younger lads have sort of started to come into it a lot more over the last couple of months and um yeah, I think that'll be interesting to see as we play more and more games because obviously, like so far this year, it's only been two of them and it's uh, late January. But um, as we move on, um, it will be um, it'll be good to see if that that is true and um, see the proof in the pudding there. Um, so, I mean, I, f- I think like ultimately we probably at the moment are sort of around where this squad kind of is currently capable of being. I, I guess the frustration has always been that you want that the, the manager to have that extra 10% and bring players on a little bit more than we have been doing because I think there is the potential there for things to sort of really sort of like the touch paper and um, improve from here and um, hopefully challenge for um, a, a much higher position in the league than we currently are in. Um, so I, I don't know if it's necessarily so much that things have gone wrong with the recruitment, just that maybe there's that la- that missing like five, ten percent um, to make things go really, really well. Dan, Paul Temple says, what types of players do we need to recruit in this window to strengthen, also improve the boring, ineffective style? This question was presented before Lindsay had departed. Hmm. Also, who will probably go out to make way? Paul's guess at the time was a, a combative midfield central player holding centre forwards who makes runs to open gaps and another goalkeeper who's experienced. Uh, he predicted Reed would leave for a fee and Paul was right. Then guess is that Adeloy goes out on loan. Hutton may leave on a fee. Harry's injured but goes when he's back. And then Fraser Blake-Tracy is key, but not in our control. So we'll need another centre-back if he's recalled. Jake Kane has also come in in that time. Dan, who, who do you think there's going to be much business? Um, sorry to go all cliche. Maybe keeping hold of Bryn and keeping hold of Fraser Blake-Tracy. I'm kind of nonplussed on Kieran Brennan, albeit I think he has shown some better performances in, in the last couple of months um I, I think I would still like uh a sort of first team standard center half because you are carrying a few injuries and a, a couple of average players to be kind you know um Baudry's out long term injured uh Harry's um not great and crocked Divine at left back um sort of long term crocked and hasn't hasn't really made any impact. So um, if you're going to use Blake Tracy at left back, then I think another centre-half, I think it would be serviceable if you can keep hold of Blake Tracy and use him at centre-half, then the priority might become become left back. Um, The only thing to say there is, you know, Marcel Lavinier might might protest with that. Um, He's sort of filled in admirably at at left back recently. Um, He is a bit stuck behind Hutton, at right back or right wing back. So it might be a kind of happy fudge if we use Lavinia at left back to keep him happy. In terms of outs, um, I think if you can move Adeloye on, that would be good business. I think uh, Morgan Roberts has been pushed slightly out to the fringes recently. The sign-in of Austin and the re-emergence of uh, Hepburn Murphy probably 
pushes him a bit further out. So I think if you could find him a conference loan, like a I don't know a Yeovil Town or something like that, that would um, that would probably represent good development for for Roberts. Um, we've got a few younguns who probably want to be out there playing. Harrison Minton. Um, if you do bring in another defender, that would probably free him up to uh, go out to a to a loan club. You know, George Calmeadow probably wants to be thinking about next moves. So there's um there's a bit of fat to trim. Um, but yeah, probably some of the best business keeping Lake Tracy and Bryn. Um, I think back to the summer. Uh, I think the recruitment was mostly pretty sound. There were some horrors which I've I've spoke about, but I think where we did lack was failing to replace the kind of mega players, McCurdy, Payne, and then that's kind of hybrid Davison or, or Simpson, because those three players added so much and so much dynamism. Uh, I think Austin is in that mega player bracket. So that's kind of one, one whole field, but you know, if they could pull a rabbit out the hat um, in that kind of, Pain or McCurdy, like bit of magic, bit of dynamism, and drive from uh, the center of the pitch. Then I w- that would make me really happy. Question, Connor, from Alex Smith: What metrics do you think STFC are using for their recruitment? How does this work for recruitment? And do you think the granularity of data is enough for the level we're at to target and sign the right players? I don't know what the exact metrics will be because I'm not statistically minded myself. Um, I'm assuming it would be in some of these sort of um, data companies. Like if you look, a lot of them have sort of public facing stuff. And then behind the hood, you get the the really good stuff that you have to pay for. And so I'm assuming it will be some of the stuff that me as just the general punter that's not really that interested in statistics wouldn't have seen. But it'll be, I don't know, stuff about like how often you're progressing the ball forward, where you're doing that, um, how quickly you're doing it. All those kind of things um sort of yeah if you're an attacker like where like what how many chances you're creating with your runs and your um passes of the ball and where those chances are being created and uh and all of that kind of stuff um from what sandra said on on the on the sofa sort of segment he did a couple of weeks ago um it sounds like they look at quite a wide range of stuff and then also the data kind of also comes into the off-pitch stuff just in terms of costs and all that kind of stuff as well and um yeah so I don't, I don't know exactly on that but I'm sure there's there's a lot of different things that go into that to identify players that they then look at um in terms of what was the, the second half of the question? So do you think the granularity of data is enough for the level we're in to target and sign the right players? Uh, so I think, yeah, uh, I think this one is, again, something that probably, I, I mean, people use data in this division, so there must be quality towards it. Um, like there are a lot of very smart data-minded people that are doing this, not just at our club, but like, I, f- I think it's like quite widely used, um, even at levels below ours. Um, so probably there is, you just, I think you just really need to know exactly how it's going to be used and how different things apply to different, so how like stats in one league compare to, to other leagues. So I find it interesting to read in sort of um, mainstream publications about um, sort of how um, recruitment will look at, I, I know I'm a Premier League club and I want to, recruit this player I like in the Bundesliga or Eredivisie or Serie A 
how do I then look at their numbers and understand that in the context of my team in the Premier League? Um, and I think probably that's the, the difficulty if we're going to be grabbing people out of non-league, if we're going to be going to Scotland, um, then that's probably the difficulty. And I think if you look at the players that we seem to have done really well in signing with, if you understand that there's been sort of some kind of like level of statistical analysis on those signings, it does seem to be the ones that have been from within the Football League system, I think that have been the best signings rather than the ones that we've grabbed from elsewhere. Um, so maybe there's an element of that. Um, ultimately as well, um, I think if it, once you start watching the players, that, that doesn't hide anything either. So, you know, you can look at the numbers, they might look all right. And then if you look at them and it just doesn't work, then uh, I think you can, yeah, you can discard things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the data itself is useless. It just means that you need to know exactly how to use it. Dan, a question from a friend of the pub, Max Springer. Sandro loves to talk about a squad full of assets. Who is our most valuable player and how much would you expect us to take for them if we were to sell up? Oh, well, I kind of answered the uh, Remio Hutton one earlier. So I would suppose he might be one of our most valuable players at the moment. And in this market, 300 grand for a fly-in modern fullback who's quick and got a wicked cross on him, um, that would feel about market value. But yeah, I, I would tend to look at our players that are under long contracts, are young and generally pretty good. So, you know, I've mentioned Hutton. I think Tom Clayton looks uh, a cracking prospect. Um, Khan, less young, you know, at 26. But, um, sort of, you know... Sounds like he's turned a few heads at, at League One level in, in Plymouth previously. Um, I think some of the the lads stepping out of under-23s football might be a, a bit of a slower burn, as we're seeing with Jacob Wakelin, uh, Marcel Lavinier starting to come to the fore. Be interested to see um, how Kane from Liverpool goes. So maybe longer term, some of the big value might come from a, a Lavinier or a Jake Kane. Um, looking a bit further out even, you know, if we can do a good job promoting and developing people like Antoine Dorzak and Abu Khanu, then, you know, big pat on the back to the academy because that, that might turn in, into into big money. But I suppose to the original question, I think probably Romeo Hutton is the most valuable player right now by virtue of being under a longer contract than... Johnny Williams and uh, Charlie Austin. Am I the only one who was annoyed at the notion that Swindon were rumoured to going to be swapping Hutton for Joe Tomlinson for the same reason that Connor's annoyed that we're looking to flip players after one window, not a whole season. And then the ones that do have a higher value financially, we're going to trim the cost to bring another player in. That that annoyed me. Yeah, so, well, it annoyed me, frankly, because I'm greedy. I, I'd like both. <laughs> Um, so yeah would that be great value in doing it probably not good player for good player given that we've put six months of development into Hutton already take that a bit further he had an outstanding game against Grimsby two lovely assists let it run and then see what he's worth in the summer window if you must have this money lust we've got a We got a question from Argyle Life, and if they've made it this far for their question, then 
Uh, they've got to do something else with their life, but we're gonna we're gonna answer it anyway. The question is, how's Luke Jeffcott been for you? Would you be looking to make him a permanent sign-in, or does Austin's arrival spell a period on the bench? Connor, I've been waffling utter nonsense about this for weeks because I've been fretting about him leaving to pastures new, but there was only other one team he could play for this season, and that's top of League One Plymouth Argyle. So there's no, there was never going to be any chance of that. I think. We're already seeing what's going to happen to Jeffcott over the season if he doesn't take his chances, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, I, f- I think overall he's been fine. I think he, I think there was a point in the autumn where um, he was just he was kind of trundling along, grabbing goals here and there, and looking okay, and just sort of being the player that we expected him to be. Um, I think it's maybe gone a little bit off the ball recently, but then that that's kind of paired with Swindon going off the ball in November and December as well. I basically don't have too strong an opinion on him. I think he hasn't done anything that we didn't think he could do. And I don't think he's played significantly worse than we thought that the level that he was at is. I'm, I hope that we kind of get sort of get him into a run of form and get him to get some goals. But I mean, equally, if we don't, hopefully we can get goals into Austin and I can win a cheese board from uh, JR. So um, <laughs> that's all I really care about with the Jeffcott thing at the moment. But yeah, I mean, based on this season, I don't think I'd look at signing him. Um, but like, if they were to sign him again, I'm not going to be sort of just feeling too strongly about it. Um, it's probably one of those ones, if we're in League Two, then it might just make sense to just sort of keep the squad the same rather than uh, sort of having a massive turnover. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a reason he's not in League One. And I think we're starting to see that slowly. Next question will be for both of you, starting with Dan. It's from Jack Tanner. says, does the panel think the long-term futures of Ricky Aguilar and Harry Parsons will be elsewhere? And why is it, as a club, we never seem to recognise and trust talent from the academy or youth team? For example, Twine and Bowden. It's a good point, isn't it? And... Aguilar recently, at the start of the season, signed a long-term contract and he fell out of favour over the season. Now there's going to be a new head coach. He, he might be back in the equation. And it looks like Harry Parsons is done regardless, doesn't it, Dan? What do you think? So I think Ricky Aguilar, no. I, I think he does have a future at Swindon Town. I think he's a very talented midfielder. If this frost ever passes, then I think he will make a, a, a big impression down at Torquay. I think perhaps we what we've seen recently is maybe a sort of personal uh, difference of opinions between him and Scott Lindsay. Um, so, you know, new manager coming in, Aguia coming back to Swindon off the back of a successful loan could and should be a, an opportunity for a fresh start for him. Um, there's definitely a player in there and he's under a long contract. Harry Parsons, regrettably, probably yes. Um you know, he's still got time to make a very big impression in the Conference South with Chippenham between now and May if he stays. Um, you know, that's a route well trodden by, you know, a player now making a big impression at the top of the Championship with a lovely free kick the other night, Scott Twine. Um, but to my footballer's eye, do I see a player in Harry Parsons for Swindon where we want to be long term in the third tier? I'll say no, but I hope he continues to have a good rest of the season and finds himself um, you know, a good next club because you know he, we've still got a duty of care to him um, for sure. And to the question about 
why historically we we're not very good at producing players. I think in the last decade, this is certainly true. I think we tend to prioritise developing other people's players because we've been a club outwardly happily reliant on loans and you know seeking good loan relationships you know go back to Tim Sherwood at Tottenham uh, we've had some good players from Norwich Southampton um, so yeah maybe we've been a bit too focused on developing other people's players and what you have got a chance of with the new ownership at Swindon for the last 18 months, you know, money where the mouth is, you know, you've got what looks like a couple of talented young players in uh, Dwarzak in central midfield, Carney up front, the young goalkeeper Copland, I gather, uh, had a good game at Chippenham when he got his opportunity. He's been on the bench deputising for, for Solbrin recently. So, yeah, put your money where your mouth is, Swindon. Trust these players and know bear the fruits yeah I mean I guess the the only thing I would add with that is that like the the two examples of players that have gone on to better things from sort of having started here obviously that's like a long period between the two of them and also like the us not really being able to use them to the maximum of their abilities happened under two different owners who are also not the owners now and there is a stated ambition to sort of work that differently I feel like with with Aguiar, like he is actually the example of the sort of player that actually, even over the last ten years, we've developed quite well because he's not an academy player. He's not one that's come through our academy, our, our academy kind of. He's been signed for the first team to begin with. Has kind of sort of sat there and come along, and um, you could probably compare it to sort of. I mean, obviously he joined later on in his career and had played more football than like Iandolo or something like that, but. We've had a few sort of names like that where we sign players like fairly young and have, have got decent service out of them. So I would kind of see him as a line in succession with that rather than um, with Twine and Bowden and um, a couple of the players in, in the middle of that. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I, I think ultimately uh, there, there, there have been a couple of sort of exceptions where there have been players from the academy that have gone on and done really good things elsewhere. But I think, I think for the most part, um, probably it's... Uh, you do need to have a little bit more of a pathway to the team to kind of get them the experience to have the career at the sort of level that we want to have them. And that does take a long time to forge. So I'm hoping, like Dan says, for a couple of the players that are in that at the moment, like you mentioned, Dwarzak, Kanu, Minto, we spoke about earlier. Um, if you can kind of, yeah, have them in, around, in, in and around the environment and, uh, you know, a couple of them were around the environment last year and are this year, um, Hopefully that can only lead to good things in a couple of years, but I feel like we we probably need to be thinking about youth development rather than specifically right now the the players that are from the youth academy that are in the team now. Um, probably more with a view to in two years are we going to be in a position to be producing players to get into the team? And I uh, yeah, obviously I have no idea on that, but um, hopefully that's a reasonable ambition. We've said it before: young players need time. So one year contracts does put an awful lot of strain on them to make a huge impression in that one year and they also need games and we've said about development friendlies reserve leagues many many times on this pod so we don't have to go there again but if you give them games they will improve probably enough yeah lovely stuff dan sticking with you sam mendoza says is a man of johnny williams's ability but lack of speed wasted out on the left mm, i'm gonna say no uh, i think provided that front four that we started with against grimsby 
where you know Williams could happily play in the pocket behind Austin or out wide left and interchange it. I think as long as it's fluid and there is interchange, then I don't think he is wasted. I think perhaps the position we'd like to see him in a bit more is that kind of number 10 position, head of midfield behind Austin. Um, but actually, whilst he has been out on the left wing, he has become quite a proficient scorer of uh, goals at the back post and tap-ins from sort of follow-up shots and stuff. So um, it's hard to really moan about his output this year, I think. I think last year I was a bit more critical, wanted to see more goals and assists, but he seems to be quite happy out there. Yeah, I think his best performances for us have mostly been on the left. I might be wrong on a couple of counts, but that's where I tend to like to see him. Yeah, he he rarely produces for others from the wide left because he does drift in. Um, and as a side this year, we have been very biased towards everything going down Hutton on the right. So I don't think they've been asking Williams to hug the touchline. I think they have been asking Williams to play kind of inside left to use like 1960s terminology. Connor, last one on this segment from Jason. How many of the current squad are good enough for League One? Oh, I don't have a list of the current squad in front of me. I probably should have a look at them. Um, So if we take loans out of it... Let's do it. I've got the squad list up, Connor. Okay, so gut feeling, yes or no. So the question is, are they good enough for League One? You just have to say yes, they are, or no, they're not. Hutton? Yep. Iandolo? I think just about. Yes or no? Clayton? Yes. Gladwin? Yes. Williams? Yes. Adeloy? No. Darcy? No. Austin? <laughs> I'm not going to say no, am I? So yes. <laughs> Massey? No, I've not seen him for us, really. Agua? Yes. Divine? I literally don't know if he exists. <laughs> Hepburn Murphy? Not seen enough, but I'm I'm edging towards yes, if you can stay fit. MacDonald? Yes. Lavinia? Yes. Khan? Mm, uh, yes. Wakeling? Yeah, no, at the moment, no, but I think potential, yes. So, I've yeah. got, yeah. yeah. I understand that. Harry's? No. Shade? No. Parsons? No. Dabre? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Minton? Uh, again, not seen enough of him. Um, I would, my heart says yes, my head says probably no. Yeah, we're going into the, uh, the, the, the younger players here, so perhaps a bit, a bit unfair to go to the first year pros. But there we go. That was a lovely little exercise there. I bet Dan is champing at the bit to contribute oh. to that. Do you, do you have anything to add? <laughs> yeah, let's let's do it in higher numbers down. No, um, what I was going to say is <laughs> I, I don't think what I've seen, the bottom half of League One is a massive jump from the top half of League Two. And I think many of this squad right now could probably get someone to finish 15th in League One. Call me big-headed. Um, I think top end of Tier 3, you're probably looking at both the right-backs, Clayton, possibly Khan, I think Wakelin long term, like Connor says, yes. Austin's already there. Williams already there, and you know Hepburn Murphy if he stays fit. So uh, yeah, well summed up, Connor. Well done. Okay, then a couple of questions about the podcast itself now, which I will cover. Uh, feel free to chip in if there's anything, gentlemen. PJ asks, did your relationship with the club turn a bit frosty after you rightly questioned the trust's involvement of day-to-day running? 
of the club a few months back. Nothing from the club, absolutely not. The fallout from that was a shame, but I stand by the sentiment and overwhelming majority of what that episode covered. My biggest regret from doing that episode 100% was upsetting people I genuinely respect. That was quite a weekend, I can assure you. I don't think I've conducted myself perfectly throughout my time doing The Love Strangers. I've ruffled a few feathers, some not intentionally, and I've had my feathers ruffled too. I definitely could have been better in places for sure, but it's 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 a fans podcast about Swindon Town for goodness sake. Uh, I had a great chat off mic with Tom and Neil at the Trust, and now if there are any issues along those lines, I'll invite the Trust on and I'll give them a good grilling instead of doing it the way we did. Although again, I stand by it, but I think it'd be better now if we just have a chat. The second question was from Batch who said, do you feel a bit pushed out, upset or otherwise that the club seemed to be giving you the cold shoulder? I may have read the situation wrongly and you changed approach. Okay, so I've never been told off by the club and nothing has ever been fed back to me, nor does it concern me that others are getting more. The club don't owe me anything and I don't owe the club anything. I don't rely on the club. Uh, We're probably up there amongst the... Swindon Town fan content providers that ask more difficult questions and maybe complain a little bit more. Um, And that's probably been noticed within the club, but so be it. We are an impartial podcast. And in my opinion, the only way to maintain that is by not getting too close or cosy. A few years ago, I think I would have accepted the offer of making Ellis Pod an official podcast of Swindon Town. Uh, because my desire back then was to create X player and player episodes, and they don't necessarily harm the current reputation of the club, etc. But we couldn't get over the line, unfortunately, which was a shame because there was a genuine attempt a few years back to get something sorted, but it didn't happen. The truth is, though, well, I don't really ask the club for much. The busiest head of media and comms in terms of being pestered by me was 100% Ben Hook, and that was largely due to lockdown. And I was talking to current squad players from the PPG season almost daily at one stage. It was quite the do. Ben and Will Fowler were both great to me. They were very switched on and understood the emerging importance of fan content. And in fairness, I didn't really have much interaction with Andrew Steele Davis because it felt like the club had pulled the shutters down under the Ben Garner era. And I've only said a couple of things Dave Rixton's way, and that was to ensure that he was aware of the presser and something that was not related to the pod. I have recently attempted to get permission to interview players over the coming months. I stress months. It wasn't for the next few days or weeks, but unfortunately that request was rejected as the club have too much on and commitments to other content providers, which again, isn't an issue at all. But in terms of changing approach, that absolutely did happen um, for the most important reason of all, really. And that was that my little boy, my second child, was born a couple of years ago. And despite all this ruddy content, my wife and children come first each and every time in, in priority. And, well, you know, 
Ellis Pod is a growing community of dads, isn't it? Because congratulations to Terry on the arrival of their firstborn. Lovely stuff. Ultimately, <laughs> we're all mad keen Swindon Town fans, and we like to talk about it. It's not always we at the. We just love Swindon Town, don't we? Um, yeah, some interesting insights there, Rich. Thank you. Um, nice to peek behind the curtains for our for our listeners. Um, I think one thing I often congratulate you on, Rich, is actually just keeping your head in this crazy land that is Swindon Town. And this, you know, I think when you get sucked in, it can feel like the most important thing in the world. Mm. What, what you've actually said there is, you know, family does come first. Congratulations, Terry. Um, I'm a young dad myself. Um, I'm sure Connor will have some little German children running around in <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you want to keep an appropriate distance. You want to be, you know, the club's critical friend. And I, I think as a group, you know, we're quite an opinionated bunch. I, I think we critique fairly, uh, as fairly as possible. And, and, you know, we try and be the club's critical friend yeah we always try and show our working connor you know we we we, we do our pre-production we we do things sometimes don't make the edit once i listen to it i'm like is this is this worth it and i stand by some of the editorials that i that i make uh, from time to time but i'm happy with the way things are i'm I'm gonna try and get ex-players at least back on because the club can tell me if I can do that or not. You know, I can do that without the club's permission. But I've I've never, ever, ever, ever relied on the club. Um, we just bloody, ruddy love Swindon Town, don't we, Connor? We do, and I, th- I think I think probably this part of the success of what this is, if if you can define it as successful, what's kept it going for so long is that I think we all think about Swindon Town a lot, and then that then informs hopefully being an interesting podcast to listen to. I mean, I at least find it interesting to listen to when I'm not on. If I'm on, then uh, bloody hell, don't know why anyone would have got through to an hour and 16 of this. But uh, anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, and I think obviously as well, like we, we have changed approach a couple of times. Um, obviously, part of that was then you widening out, widening out the um, sort of enthusiastic contributors pool um, <laughs> to sort of get us involved and that changed what the show was from before when um, obviously it was mostly interviews and you had a bit of a, um, a, a monthly roundup and then it went to sort of going game by game and now that's even expanded even more and um, I feel like, yeah, you, you can come here and get a lot of information about, about Swindon Town, but that's developed slowly and we just kind of, I guess, look at how what we find interesting to talk about and um, different formats that we find interesting and... Um, probably the sort of thing that end of this season we'll sort of start to think is there a little bit different that we can do and then you know every season that this continues going on for hopefully for very many to come um that just just to kind of keep making it interesting for us to make interesting for people to listen to and uh, and all of that kind of stuff and I think one of the great things that we have now that we didn't have when this all started and I mean even when um even when I sort of started getting properly involved rather than just appearing every once in a while, um, like the proliferation of sort of fan media in, in a swimming environment, like there's so much more that you can listen to that can cater exactly to what you want to listen to. So I think because you've got people doing good jobs from on the sofa to 
the Tom Broadbent lounge obviously falls rush in as well and um all, all sorts of different um sort of fan media things like there's, there's a few vlogs and stuff that that are on there as well um there's more there's actually more content than you could actually watch as one person if you if you wanted to um uh, so it, it's the sort of thing where now it's, it it kind of does just come down to like doing what we find interesting i guess as well and uh Apparently that means on a Tuesday night talking about a podcast for about eighty minutes. <laughs> Over long I, just, I just wish they put the covers on. That, that's that's all. <laughs> we, 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 We'd be watching we, football right now. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. Um, Dan, a question from Dave: Why, as an adult, can I buy a fizzy drink without having the top removed? Just take your own bottle top in with you. Not the official uh, opinion of LS Pod, because that, that might see us frozen now. Yeah, that, that will result in an email from the club. Yeah, don't, <laughs> because we can, because people can't be trusted, Dave. Dan, sticking with you, Mike Dixon asks, can anyone match the size of Dan Hunt? I mean, actually, Connor can probably cover this. Could you, could you match the Dan Hunt size? Uh, no, I don't think I could. I mean, he is a, a master of the art, as we, yeah, we discovered over many it's seasons. It's a shame you are a man of impressions as well, Connor. So. Am I? Yeah, yeah, Tommy, Tommy Wright. I, I think I don't don't know if I'd be able to do Dan Hunt, class Dan until I saw justice. It's, it's kind of a, isn't it? Is it? Uh, <sighs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that kind well, of thing. We've had plenty to sigh about, um, yeah. so we must thank Sven in town. Oh, we do. <laughs> and John Sheridan. The, the last question, and it wouldn't be a mailbag without this sort of stuff. We're not talking cheese, but we'll, we'll go for a, a question with calling your teacher mum, who says, which of the players and staff could you beat in an arm wrestling contest? Uh, I'm going Ronan Darcy. I'm taking him down. Yeah, I'd actually be scared about breaking him. Um, no, no, not really. <laughs> and I, I would have all of them because I, I'm abs- my arms are like trees. Basically, I've, 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 hamstrings in my arms yeah misleadingly strong is connor dan who you beating in an arm wrestle uh oh i like your darcy shout but i can't repeat that so i'll have to go for (laughs) jack copland because he's about five foot five if i can't beat him i'll just go home dan yeah of course, they are all comprehensively breaking our arms, but <laughs> and, and for whatever reason, the anti-Ronan Darcy agenda steams on. I think that'll do, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. The Lone Strangers is an independent supporters podcast. Views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club or their official partners. The music is provided by the great Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork was designed by Matt in Singapore. What a guy. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Has a bubble. Hi, Alice Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! No, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.